Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and as always, joining me from Toronto, Ontario, is Cliff Murphy. Cliff, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, Bill. How are you? I'm doing all right, thanks. This week, we'll be talking about the webcomic Penny Arcade. Penny Arcade is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, webcomics currently ongoing, and it's 100% centered around video games. And so we see how they do it with their characters, with their referential humor to video games, and just with their, you know, general relationship humor. Yeah, they certainly have their, uh, they talk about video games a lot, but then past that as well, they certainly have their fingers in a whole bunch of different pots. As a quick reminder, So Many Bits is brought to you in part by the Second Wind Collective. For more quality podcasts like this one, please visit secondwindcollective.com for details. And then first, though, before we get into uh, talking about Penny Arcade, Cliff, have there been any games you've been playing lately? I have been playing the second i'm saying this as i'm stretching as as may be apparent i am playing the second ratchet and clank future uh game which is a uh, crack in time and i played and finished the first one tools of destruction and then i said okay and now i'm gonna play the second one and i can anticipate being able to go and play the third afterwards and i've also been looking at the ratchet and clank collection as well so i've been kind of it's a rabbit hole that I've kind of been down for a while, but now I've just found, you know, I've rediscovered the rabbit hole, I guess. I don't know if that metaphor even makes sense. I'm already in the rabbit hole, and yet I rediscovered it. That probably wouldn't, that would imply that I left it at some point, and I don't think I ever really did. Anyway, what I'm saying is, I'm playing Ratchet & Clank a crack in time. Now, have you played this Ratchet & Clank game before? Yeah, I've played this one. Actually, I think i played this one the most out of the other ones, because as far as I know... This is the one that I got uh, the Platinum PlayStation Trophy on, uh, which means that I basically did every single thing in the game. And uh, I played through it a whole bunch of different times. And uh, But the interesting thing is that it was a while ago, and now I don't really remember a whole lot about it. So as much as I played it a ton when I, uh, when I first got it, I, it's, a lot of it is super fresh to me, which is, which is nice kind of a deja vu all over again thing. Yeah, yeah, I suppose, but deja vu in the sense that I know that I must have seen it before, but I just don't remember any of it. So I don't know if that's deja vu necessarily. But uh it's fun. Uh you know, it's just as satisfying as the other Ratchet and Clanks. There's uh they'll be releasing a new Ratchet and Clank for um the PlayStation 4 in a little while, which is going along with the movie that they're also doing because they are doing a Ratchet and Clank movie and the trailer for it was just released the past week. And it looks great, but it also looks super animated movie cliche as well. But I have high hopes for it because uh, I just like the company. Well, that's great. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit about that in the Ratchet and Clank episode if you're interested in downloading that. Uh, it sounds like you're still very much in like with this franchise yeah that's pretty much it that's just yeah if you want my feelings on it just go go listen to that one and then, then it's pretty much all reiterated i guess as for me I, i've been playing a bit of metal gear solid 5 ground zeros how is that one is that one the one that just came out or was that an earlier one or what this is the prequel game kind of like a demo of the game the phantom pain that just came out this was released last year in the spring okay all right and uh how are you finding it? I like it a lot. It's a two-hour, like 90-minute to two-hour mission that takes place in a small, self-contained military base where, as you do in Metal Gear Solid, you sneak around, you interrogate guys, you look for clues for data, and then you're extracting some prisoners <laughs> as part of this mission. Yeah, that sounds pretty typical. And what 
really sets us apart from earlier Metal Gear Solid games is that when you were playing the the sneaking, the stealth, the combat, the movement, they all felt a little bit clunky in that there were a lot of different complex commands you had to be aware of, and they didn't always uh, come off quite right. They looked a bit uh, jagged or jittery, and the button commands were all really complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I do seem to remember in like Metal Gear Solid Two. Uh, struggling to figure out like the menu system or just generally spending a lot of time kind of tinkering around with the menus and uh, never really being able to figure it out super well. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's still pretty complicated here, but the the feel of the game is much smoother. Mm-hmm. The combat, the movement all feels more fluid, like everything kind of just flows together and you don't have to like pause at any given time and rememorize a button command to shimmy under a jeep to get out of the way of a guard who's coming around the corner or something like that right so that's a radical improvement makes the gameplay a lot more enjoyable and there's also the fact that unlike in earlier games there isn't a radar system instead you need to use your binoculars to tag different enemies as they walk around the base okay and then a big boss's like combat intuition i guess keeps track of them and then you're able to monitor them like that but not if you haven't tagged them first oh cool yeah so like if you have three guys tagged you might not have realized there was a fourth guy just like wandering around and he might get the drop on you unawares but then also there's reflex mode where because big boss is such a hardened veteran combat badass in the panic moment when they make first contact with you big boss can still react so you can still pull out your trank gun and trank them or use a close quarters combat move on them to get the drop on them that way that's that's awesome that um the uh, the tagging system for radar there sounds way more realistic than the previous games where you would just automatically be able to determine like where everything is all the time. It goes a long way to making you feel like you're occupying a real place rather than going up against AI routines that are on a scripted path. Mm-hmm. And just in general, the whole combat play feels a lot better and it feels a lot more forgiving stealth-wise too. You oh, yeah? feel like, yeah, even here where, I mean, you'll still get caught plenty of times, but you feel like it was fair now more mm-hmm. than before. Okay, yeah. I do like that where it can be challenging, but if you mess something up, you're like, yeah, okay, that was my bad. Like it wasn't just some random event that happened in the game. Right, yeah, because anytime someone uh, like hears you or notices you, uh, like a white spot appears on the screen in a circle. Mm-hmm. And then based on the circle, you know which direction from boss they're in. And so you know that someone is alert to you and you can try and you know get behind cover or beat them up, whichever you prefer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you do that, like eventually, either if, if you shake them, the white spot will go away. Or if it keeps going and you keep picking up more guys, more white spots will appear. And then you need have more idea of what directions you can and can't go. It's all very visually intuitive and, and just overall feels a lot more engaging than previous stealth games. Nice. Well, that's that's awesome then. That sounds like it's a super positive experience. Absolutely. The only real knock on it is it's a bit short which I think was more of an issue before there was the Phantom Pain that you could go out and get, which is still pretty great, and I'm actually playing that right now. Oh, really? Uh, And that's the one one that just came out, right? Phantom Pain? Yes, yes, and I do have a a lot to say about that. I think it kind of warrants its own episode, which I'm going to be doing, so be on the lookout for that. Well, no, that's that's fine. Uh, uh, We'll save it for another episode, but I do also think that it is like a realistic possibility that we talk about it here, given how like every other podcast I either bring up Ratchet and Clank or Metroid or, you know, 
other things. <laughs> I couldn't think of a third example there. Well, it's it's all right though. It, it, if it bleeds into this podcast or another episode, that's okay. It, okay, it's kind of the nature of organic give and take yeah in a a good true podcast environment yeah and you know that we're uh we're real you know people who are into this sort of stuff because we obsess about certain things over and over and over again (laughs) so it's not like we're like you know oh we're only talking about one thing now we're not talking about one thing now it's just you know we just talk about the same stuff (laughs) and again we're not some ai conversation script that's reiterating facts about one game series over and over again yep Exactly. We do at least two. Maybe not three, but at least two. Mm-hmm. At least. Well, that's all I've been playing right now. Uh, so cool. how about we get into talking about Penny Arcade? Yeah, absolutely. So Penny Arcade debuted on November 18th, 1998. It's written by Jerry Hawkins and drawn by Mike Krahulik? Krahulik? Krahulik, I, I think. Krahulik. Yeah. Mm-hmm. New strips are released Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. To my knowledge, there has never been a big gap in their release schedule either. They pretty much come out constantly monday wednesday friday yeah i don't remember there ever being a super huge gap or if there was or if there was going to be a gap they brought in uh like a guest artist or something like that i think there was a uh there was a i guess maybe a two-week period a little while ago where they uh i think they had to take some time off and they did a whole uh, series of guest comics uh where all these artists were trying to teach mike's son about sex and so that was uh, just a whole bunch of comics related to that, which was pretty cool. And then on top of the comic, they, they do a bunch of stuff. As you mentioned earlier, they have their fingers in a lot of different pies. They have uh, Child's Play, uh, their charity that donates toys and games to children's hospitals. Uh, mm-hmm. They have packs, a convention series. Uh, mm-hmm. They have video games. They have podcasts. They, they have a lot of stuff out there. They really do. It is kind of like an empire that they've established. I, I guess that's maybe maybe that's a real loose term for an empire. That's not <laughs> – I don't – like maybe I'm not using that right. Um, but they are doing a whole lot. They definitely have a whole lot of things going on for them. And they've got a whole – it's not just the two guys. They have a whole team of staff behind it. That's right. And I, I do think that's a fair term, empire. It's part of the reason they've been able to do the comic so long is they've managed to make it – financially sustainable by branching out into other marketing opportunities including these games the conventions uh they have like the podcast they have all these different ways to interact with fans that aren't just the comic and they've really been able to be one of the few groups of creators or individual creators who have managed to make this a full-time job for themselves Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is pretty impressive as a side note you said fingers in different pies i said fingers in different pots Fingers in different pies makes way more sense than fingers in different pots. Like, I mean, I imagine that it's like a child who's going around and, like, sticking their finger in a pie to, like, feast on the goo inside. (laughs) Um, But, like, fingers in different pots, I don't know what that would even be. Like, it's just, you know, some pots of maybe stew or something. But what kid is sneaking around to try and get, like... Hmm, you got to see that stew they're cooking. It's super savory. Like, I don't think any kid is doing that. The pies one makes much more sense. Basically, I'm saying I realize my error now. I mean, maybe like a really rustic or cost-conscious child is like, oh, and this stew, you don't even have to have a beef stock. You can just use (laughs) leftover beef bones. I mean, that's very economical. And that's it. That's all you need. The flavor comes from the bone itself. (laughs) Anytime, I mean, anytime we talk about stew is... I can't not think about carl weathers on arrested Mm -hmm. development you got a stew going he's so brave to go on there and basically parody himself (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true 
very brave. It was so good, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, very brave, but, you know, like a lasting character that, you know, people look back on in a positive way. Uh, But, yeah, fingers in a lot of pies. Fingers in a lot of pies, yep. And just the general premise of the comic is Jerry and Mike are kind of self-inserts as Tycho and Gabe. Mm -hmm. Tycho is more of, like, the intellectual, the straight man, and Gabe is the wacky guy who Tycho reacts off of. Mm-hmm. And they're not meant to be like biographically the same or even necessarily personality the same, but they do end up being their mouthpieces a lot for different opinions. Yeah, yeah, they really do. And then also weird, their real-life spouses and children make regular appearances in the comic. Yeah, which is pretty funny because they themselves are characters, but then their wives or children are actually named after their real-life children or wives. It's just, it's a, it's bizarre. It, it is. It's it's kind of a incongruous relationship but it works for them because the comic is a bit surreal yeah oh yeah it certainly is isn't it yeah there's not much continuity between strips characters can die and revive or have horrific life events that are ignored Mm -hmm. in future strips but also they'll have what they call the dreaded continuity where there'll be multi-part stories (laughs) (laughs) or they'll even do like stories that have nothing to do with the comic like many times they'll just take a few weeks off and just do a whole other story uh, yeah, they'll uh, they'll. There's been a bunch of different ones. I remember there was one when uh, a whole bunch of the different characters were trapped inside of a shopping mall during a zombie apocalypse. I think something along the lines of that. Um, there was another series that they did, which was all about ping pong. I mean, they've had a bunch of oh different... my god, yeah, yeah, they've had a bunch of different ping pong comics, but then they had like a really long one called Paint the Line, which was set up like a dramatic like USA versus USSR showdown, which was using ping pong. And uh, it was actually very clever the entire time, probably because it was such a such a bizarre uh, balance of like the intensity of the situation and the fact that they were playing ping pong. But I mean, hey, that's probably the joke, you know. That's what I'm explaining is why the joke was funny. Fair to point that out. They're like that they they're able to get the humor out of playing those strange scenarios completely straight. Mm-hmm. Like they buy into the reality of their own premise. And then what's even weirder though is like when they go with completely original characters and they do com- like not no humor completely serious stories yeah they've done that sometimes too i uh like a lot of the cardboard tube samurai uh side stories are all super serious yeah like a, a lot of their more serious ones seem to uh center around like parenthood yes or, that like, too maturation mm-hmm. and like there's one cardboard tube samurai that sticks out to me is like uh he's raising up a little kid from like being a little guy to being a a man and like as part of like his manhood quest he's got to go into a cave and fight a monster Mm -hmm. and like it's just it's like a few panels of the samurai like waiting outside and it's sunny out then it's dusk then it's dark out and then he's just got this growing look of concern it's so understated (laughs) for the comic Mm -hmm. and it was very effective I, i was very impressed that they were able to tell that story with so little going on mm-hmm some of their comics that they do have like have absolutely no text in them but are like the joke is delivered very very effectively which is pretty cool um like i mean that uh cardboard tube samurai is one nice example there's a couple other comics that i can think of uh there's one uh when taiko is uh playing uh something called boom boom blocks table edition which is you know based off of the game boom blocks 
Um, but the table edition just looks like Jenga, and he puts one of the pieces down, and the whole thing explodes, and just like he's covered in blood and like flying backwards in the final panel, um, which is you know a nice setup to a visual joke that they make there. But uh, you know, there's no text or anything in it apart from the fact that the box says "Boom Blocks Table Edition," but uh, there's no actual speech. I suppose would be the definition there. But uh, nevertheless, it's like a fast, a fast visual gag, and they're pretty good at doing that every now and then. Yeah, that's another one of their strengths is that they're not uh locked into like a three panel format mm-hmm. i mean that that's of course just like an artifact of when comics were in a newspaper they realize that you don't have to follow that and they don't and they get a like single strip joke they'll have like seven or eight strip sorry seven or eight panels mm-hmm. uh just three panels but but they vary it up and it lets them keep their jokes fresh that way yeah yeah they're pretty good uh at varying it too i mean even when they stick to the three panel sort of thing they do lots of different formats right they'll have uh people talking they'll have a narration that comes in they'll have you know completely visual comics they'll have all sorts of different styles that they do even within the three panel format but then you're right past that they do all sorts of other different things too like they can even do the standard newspaper comic setup of like uh joke setup panel one continued heightening in panel two punchline in panel three and they could pull that off just fine they know how to do it Mm -hmm. and it's to their credit that they can continue to switch things up and keep things fresh over the last 18 years Mm -hmm. you know it's interesting too that you say you know they you know traditionally comics you know build towards like a punchline in the final panel but in a lot of these penny arcade comics there will be a joke pretty consistently in each panel right uh it doesn't happen all the time it really depends on you know the thing that they're trying to achieve but there's lots of comics when there will be a joke in the second panel and then even more of a joke in the third panel it's almost as if like the first panel of the comic is going to set up the platform the second panel is going to explore it or heighten it and then the third panel is exploring and heightening it even more whereas in a traditional comic you may just see like this flat like build to one joke and then that's it in this one, it'll say, like, this is what's happening. Whoa, something crazy. Whoa, something even crazier. I seem to recall there was some sort of interview or something where they said one time one way that they like to write their comics is they'll set up a situation, and then the comic is just like them leaving the camera on the action for just a little bit longer than it would normally be cut. Um, there's one comic that I have uh, actually in front of me right now. It's called The Unhorse, and uh, it's uh, talking about a game called Bella Seraph, which I guess is about horses. And uh, it says, uh, each horse has a 10-digit code. It is very important that you enter this code correctly. Then the second panel, uh, you see Gabe just has this huge, sad look on its face. And the narration is saying, my God, what have you done? You've entered the code incorrectly. Look what your careless hands have wrought. Without bones, these ten gnarled hooves cannot support its weight. And then, like, that in itself <laughs> that's is the just... the end, right there, yeah. Yeah, that's, like, I mean, that's all you need, right? That's, I mean, that would be just funny in itself. <laughs> but, uh, but then they keep going, and then there's another panel, and uh, the narrator keeps saying, uh, each moment this unnatural beast lives is like a thousand years of misery. Look in its brown eyes. It longs for death. Select the pistol, and then select your horse. And Gabe says, no, I... I don't want to select the pistol and then select your horse. (laughs) So like it's gone, like it's heightened it to like a ridiculous level in a very, very, very short period of time, which is uh, very, very clever. I mean, it's, it's done it very, very nice, nicely. I mean, 
like I said before, it's very similar to how you would do like sketch or you do improv or something like that when they establish what the game is that they're going to be playing or what the situation is that they're going to be exploring. And then they heighten it almost to an extreme level so that they can't heighten it anymore. They don't always do that necessarily, but I mean, normally if you're um, playing a game in an improv scene or something like that, you heighten the game to its maximum and then you edit or you, you cut it before you know it has a chance to get stale because you kind of go to the moon and then that's as far as you can go. So in these comics, they basically go to the moon as much as they can in the time allotted. And uh, they don't do it all the time, but when they do, it's super effective. And one thing with that comic too is how kind of grim and gruesome it is. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're not afraid to push the boundaries in terms of violence or crudeness and i I don't sometimes for me it's a little too far but i i do appreciate that they try so hard to keep uh pushing where the boundaries of comedy are yeah that's uh that's true some of the things that they do i guess it is they do pretty much do whatever they want whatever they think is going to be funny they're not really bound by uh vulgarity or even nudity or anything like that they if they think it's funny they're gonna do it i mean i think they've censored out lots of the naughty bits that they put into comics um when that happens but uh, other than that they i mean they pretty much have free reign um so some of the comics that they do may not be for everyone but at the same time i admire the fact that they can they have ownership of the material that they're creating here you know and they say like yeah we think this is funny it may not be for everybody but this is you know this is something that we've made and this is something we put our name on. I, for one, had no interest in their vasectomy jokes. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's that's totally fair. <laughs> so that's that's not going to be something for you. But I mean, maybe someone who's had a vasectomy or is thinking about having a vasectomy is going to find that funny. And I guess that's maybe one of the like maturity things. Yeah, they're making jokes about vasectomies, but at the same time. If you're a teenager, you're probably not going to be making jokes about vasectomies at all. That's not even going to cross your mind as being a possibility. But uh, I think the guys are getting older. Like, I imagine they're in their 40s now. Uh, or maybe they're not, and I've just, <laughs> you know, said that they're older than they are. But, you know, they're they're going through a lot of uh, bigger sort of, like, family things and older adult sort of things as well. Or young adult. I don't know how old they are. I, I, I mean, should... like, if you if you assume we, we could look this up, but we're not going to. <laughs> we're not going to. <laughs> If you assume they they finished college, that yeah. puts them at like twenty two when they're starting the comic. Mm-hmm. So then, at eighteen years, so they're at least forty. Yeah, I mean, assuming they went to college, I, that's not a given. But I think they met in college. I'm pretty sure, but uh, I don't remember. But we're not going to check. Google it yourself. <laughs> Google it yourself. Bill does all the research all the time. You can go and look this stuff up, and then leave the information in the comments. And let us know if you have any questions, and we'll respond to them on the podcast. Yeah, please email us at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like <laughs> us on Facebook. Rate and review on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect segue. Uh, there's another comic that they have, since we were talking about visual sort of things, there's another comic that they did, and it was a, uh, a Ratchet and Clank comic, uh, which is appropriate, and uh, it was called A Wrench Descending. And uh, in this comic, I guess they released this uh, when Tools of Destruction came out, but this is all visual. There's no uh, like speech in it. 
I mean, there's a couple of words on there, but uh, it's all totally visual. Um, so in the first panel, Ratchet's kind of looking at the screen, and uh, there's some big fancy weapon, and it says insufficient bolts. And bolts are the currency that are used in the Ratchet and Clank universe. And uh, Ratchet's like looking at this and drooling because it's some big fancy weapon, but he clearly doesn't have enough money. So in the second panel, he kind of turns around and he looks at Clank, who's his little robot buddy. And in the final panel, you see Clank kind of like screaming in horror as this like shadow of a wrench is on top of him um which is uh ratchet's weapon um so it's pretty funny if you're uh familiar with the games but uh it does it is interesting that they found something funny about that world in the sense that in ratchet and clank bolts are your currency but there's like robots everywhere right and so you're using these like bits and pieces of robots as your money or sometimes you'll fight aliens and then they release bolts right and then all these things come out right and so clank is in himself you know a robot and the fact that you're buying everything with this currency is uh it must be horrifying for him but he seems totally fine with it in the game like no one everyone's like yeah whatever to me, it'd be like if you were going and paying for things with, like, knuckle bones, <laughs> you know? That'd be oh, like, God. Yeah, it'd be like, ew, gross, but, you know, everyone's got a big old bag of bones, you know? I don't know. Anyway, I think it's funny. It's like an offshoot of that old thing with RPGs where it's like, where do the monsters keep their money? They don't have any pockets for wallets. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's where it came from initially. They were like, yeah, why are they always dropping rings or coins or things like that? They should fall apart into pieces, you know? Okay. You know what? That actually reminds me. They ha- actually have a comic that's like that. Mm. Where like it was uh, the one some... that was like a long time ago, right? That was like back maybe like two thousand two, two thousand three. If it's the one that you're thinking of, if I'm it's thinking su- of the same one, it's super old. It's like this guy finds a ring in a dungeon. And he's like, "Huh, I wonder how this got here." And it's like some giant insect in a jewelry shop and he's pointing at the glass with his pincer and he's like, uh, "I would like this ring, please." <laughs> and then the third panel is just like, "It's for my wife." <laughs> you see. I'm getting married. <laughs> <laughs> there's another one. That reminds me of another one. There was, uh, uh, like, one merchant. Like, there's these two guys, and he's like, damn elves keep stealing my rupees. And he's like, well, what did you do to hide them? And he's like, well, I put them in a bunch of conspicuous pots out front. And he's like, what? And they found those? Yeah. But the other thing is, I threw the rest out into the grass in front of my house, and he still found those. <laughs> and that was... <laughs> That was just funny, you know, because, I mean, you yeah. no one's probably asking that question when they're playing Zelda or anything, you know, but then, you know, you go out and you're cutting down the grass to get all the rupees. It's like, why are there rupees in the grass? Well, someone's trying to steal them from you, I guess, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of humor to be mined deconstructing the logic present in video games, and I think that works either for people who have played the game or people who haven't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Some of the things that they have are pretty universal. Um I mean, some things are funnier when you have played the games, um, but some things are, you know, funny even without having played the games as well, right? Um, there was one comic they did about Mass Effect, and uh, they said something along the lines of, you know, the I forget the race of aliens. Uh, whoever constructed the uh, the Citadel, I think it is in the uh, in the Mass Effect series. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't remember. It's yeah. been a while since I played it. But uh, you are correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they said, like, whoever constructed this, it's one like we always wonder where they would have gone or how they would have uh, how they would have disappeared. It's like, well, maybe they all died in their slow ass elevators. <laughs> and that was, I mean, yeah. And at the time I was like, oh, that's pretty funny. And then I played Mass Effect and I was like, 
wow, these elevators are slow, <laughs> which I guess they're <laughs> slow because, you know, it's loading the rest of the level and it's huge and detailed, but it's still pretty funny. One of the ultimate ones of that type for me is there's this game called Geist. Okay. And it came out, I think, probably for all the systems of that generation, but I remember seeing it distinctly for the GameCube. Okay. And the premise is that you're a ghost who can possess people. And so the comic is about the ghost trying to pass himself off as a human. <laughs> And just right. like he's like, man, isn't it great existing in like physical flesh? <laughs> Guys, I opened a door. Wasn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. So I I can see how that'd be funny, even if you haven't played the game itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now uh, we to pe- peel the curtain back a little bit. We do have a list of various comics that we wanted to talk about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about a couple already, but I would be glad to talk about some more. Yeah, totally. If you don't, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Uh, one of the ones, and possibly uh, maybe their most famous comic, is mm-hmm. called Green Blackboards and Other Anomalies. Yes, yes, and absolutely. It, it, it's most famous because it creates the uh, internet fuckwad theory. Yeah, which is pretty, it's still pretty relevant. And I think the comic came out like 10 years ago. That's right, yeah. And it's just a very simple joke. It's on a, shown on a green blackboard where you take a regular person... And you add a keyboard and anonymity, anonymity, and it makes them a jerk ass. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Uh, and it's and that's and that's still totally true, right? A normal person with anonymity in an audience makes a total asshole. And that's you see that like everywhere. You see that in games. I mean, I teach in a high school, and uh, we had this one assembly one time uh, when. Uh, Basically, the person who was running the assembly pulled up a Twitter feed uh, and displayed it in front of the entire audience, in front of the oh, entire no. school population. Oh, no. Oh, no. You're already, you're already seeing where this is going, right? And, I mean, yeah. if, I was, if someone was saying, hey, this is what we're going to do, I may say, hey, let's not do that because that may not go super well, right? And they they did it, and it was okay. Like, people put up some, you know, some things that made people laugh and that sort of stuff. But then they brought it down, right? And I was like, oh, okay, fine. They're, they're not going to put that up again. They're not going to. That's it. That's all it was. And then the girl who was running it said, hey, let's bring it up again. We're going to try it for this question. And one of the other teachers, I saw him run over, and he was like, he looked at her, and he was like, uh, I don't I don't th- know if that's a good idea. And she was like, and she said, oh, I think we could try it. It was up for seriously 10 seconds, and then <laughs> it got pulled. So, like, and I mean, everybody was talking about it afterwards. Teachers were talking to students. Like, I mean, it was good in the sense that it, like, brought up a whole lot of conversation. A bunch of teachers got mad at, like, uh, their classes in general, saying, like, I'm embarrassed. But I was using it as, like, a discussion point. I was like, what could they have done better? Like, it was a teachable moment. I was like, what could they have done better in the assembly why do you think people were doing these sorts of things etc 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 right um but it was it was messy so even then even like uh, like a year ago when this assembly happened in the back of my mind i'm still thinking about john gabriel's greater internet fuckwad theory (laughs) so it was pretty pretty applicable that's an amazing moment and and you do was especially with twitter now twitter not being around when this comic originally came out in mm-hmm. 2004 like you see so many times people will try and do like publicity campaigns through twitter they'll be like ah share this hashtag and tell us how much fun you have with this thing and then mm-hmm. people will co-opt it for their own needs uh it's it's pretty brutal yeah uh, 
I don't even know, was YouTube even around when this comic came out? In ni- Well, definitely not in 98, but I mean, oh, like in 04, I don't think YouTube had come out in 04. No, so that's even interesting too. Like, I mean, they came up with this theory even before something like YouTube came up, where YouTube comments are like notorious. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think Facebook was out at this point. No, I don't think Facebook was out either. Um, yeah, I think Facebook, YouTube were like later... 2004 2005 something like that it's uh, mm-hmm. pretty remarkable well so yeah there's there's that comic um would, would maybe we should go back and forth uh cliff did, was there one that you wanted to... sure sure and actually i had this one i had i ordered a print from them and i had it hanging on my wall until for some reason the frame fell off and the glass shattered everywhere so it wasn't nice. hanging on my wall after that but well, uh, no i guess not yeah no and it like woke <laughs> me up in the middle of the night i was like what the hell could that have been and there was like glass everywhere on the ground i was like that couldn't have possibly gone worse but oh well um anyway it was a comic called tales from real life and this is another super old one but um gabe is talking to uh his wife kara and uh, he, it, the first panel, it starts off, and Gabe says, it's not that hard. What do you want to do? And Kara says, I just want to play Mario Party. And then the next panel, Gabe is standing in front of, like, all of his consoles and his receiver and things. And he says, it's easy. Look, select the right input on the television, which is video three. Then input two on the receiver, but that's only if you want sound. Finally, select input four on the component switcher. That's basically it. I mean, it's only like three remotes. <laughs> In the last panel, he's kind of like rubbing the back of his neck, and he says, I uh, I love you. <laughs> 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 I thought it was so funny. And I mean, like, it's just, that's just like one of, the, like, I mean, it's about video games kind of, but it's more about their relationship, and it's more about, like, how he has this he has all of this knowledge which he think is like so obvious and so easy but it is in no way obvious or easy and i think uh like pretty much everybody has been there when they're trying to set something up that's super technical and they have it set up in a way that works for them but makes no sense to anybody else um and trying to explain it to other people makes you sound like a bit of an asshole too uh so i just thought that one was really funny no, I, I think that one's really funny. And I, I think it's to his credit that it's not like, oh, she doesn't understand technology. It's that, oh, he... Is, he doesn't understand is, relationships. That's yeah, more the... And, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so an, another comic of theirs that I don't know if it's as notorious, but is very uh, internet-appropriate, very teachable, is your friend at the end... Or no, I'm sorry. It's we're here to help. We're here to help. Okay. And it's they've done a series of these since then, but it's the first one where they do kind of a, a 1930s-style movie premise of grammar being characters <laughs> in a film and explaining basic grammar to people on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And this one is just – the sim- it's simple, it's basic, it's about the period, and it's the last panelist. I let people know when it's okay to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And they've gone on and done a bunch of those since then with, like, numbers and, like – cleaning up grammar but that one is the one that always sticks out to me as like the because it's the original and the most clean and simplistic to understand yeah they did bring those guys a bunch uh, like the punctuation gang i think was maybe what they called it i don't really remember i think that's it i mm-hmm. believe you that that's it sure uh yeah but they had those guys a, a bunch of other times um which was they had one when uh they just like they showed someone's like forum post and they had like the guys popping up and like explaining things they were like i don't even know what's going on over here (laughs) and like just correcting (laughs) things uh which was uh 
pretty funny. Uh, was, I don't even remember what it was. I think it was about like Halo versus Killzone or something. It was a long time ago. I think I, I admittedly forgotten the exact details, but it's uh, I think it was one number was talking to the period and saying soon I will be nine. And the period's like, oh, is that how that works? I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, that one uh, that one was good as well. Because people were saying, like, I forget what game it was, but they were like, only a nine? And he was like, look, nine is right next to ten. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, that's still really good. <laughs> yeah, that was it. I think that was it. Yeah. And they were like, well, that probably wasn't an atrocity. Let's save that for awful things like war crimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh Oh, what's another one? They have. Uh, I'm just clicking on. I got my whole big old list. My big old list. Uh, yeah. There was one that they did, and this was back when I was in high school, um, and uh, it was about Dark Cloud Two, and I loved Dark Cloud Two. I mean, I love both the Dark Cloud games, um, but Dark Cloud Two was my favorite. I mean, they took the they took it to the like to the next level, and they had like voice actors, and they had this huge storyline, and it was very inventive and very customizable. If you haven't played Dark Cloud Two, uh, it was on the PlayStation Two, uh, super worthwhile. I mean, you can get uh, like so many hours out of that game, but in a really really enjoyable way if you like action RPGs. Um, and it was made by the company uh, Level Five, and Level Five also made uh, Nino Kuni, which was uh, more recently released on the PlayStation Three, which again was like this sprawling, beautiful, like action RPG sort of uh, game. Um, oh yeah, I remember you talking a lot about Nino Kuni, not uh, just you know, off there. Yeah, yeah, it's oh man, Nino Kuni is beautiful. Like I mean, it's it was a uh, co-produced by Level Five with. Um, Studio Ghibli, which is uh, the company responsible for films like Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, um, My Neighbor Totoro, pretty much all movies that were directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Um, the Capus. The Capus. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so there's this comic, and it says, uh, in Dark Cloud 2, you get a camera, and you can take pictures of things, and then you can put these pictures together in your mind in like the invention system to try and make new things, right? But the game gives you like no indication as to what pictures are going to work with other things. And apart from like taking the occasional picture because the game explicitly required you to do it in order to teach you how to use the system. I never used the invention system. Um, like I never took pictures. I just, I didn't want to contribute time to doing it. Right. Um, but anyway, in the comic, it says, uh, Dark Cloud 2 sports an interesting invention system. You see Gabe is sitting on the couch, and he's like, mailbox, trash can, pumpkin. Damn it! Right? In the next panel, <laughs> it says, by taking pictures of items in the environment, clever players can create wondrous items and powerful weapons. Mailbox, trash can, belt. Damn it! <laughs> and in the last one, Tycho says, man, I really thought you had something going with that garbage mail clock. <laughs> <laughs> Gabe's like clutching the TV saying what do you want from me and that was like I thought it was funny because that was my experience in the game I try a bunch of different combinations I was like Ugh, what am I supposed to be doing here so I just gave up and I never did it as well uh, so it's pretty funny that they found the you know the humor in something that was you know maybe frustrating for a lot of players uh, I, I appreciated that as a fan of the game I mean that that does sound pretty great like I've Never played Dark Cloud 2, but I think oh, that works. That works. That, I, that nails it for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, they explain kind of what's going on in it as well. Um, like, they say that they give the whole background as well. You don't need to have played the game, but you can appreciate it more if you haven't. Or if that you was have. a good call. Yeah. Yeah. 
good call. Yeah, to, to give it all that setup. Mm-hmm. Do you have another one? Yeah, I do. Further Songs of Sorcelation, which is not... Well, it is a strip on its own, but it's actually part of a series of strips. Okay. Where there's a ongoing bit of continuity where Tycho is a fantasy author, mm-hmm. but uh, not a well-known one. And a lot of his work has been ripped off by this other guy, uh, Franzabeld. Okay. And this six-part series is about them both going to a book convention and doing a panel together to talk about their series and how Tycho is trying to get back at Franzabeld and get his due fame and money. And Franzabeld is like this complete showboat celebrity poser. Right. And it's all this like weird fantasy stuff where it's all based around like fantasy furniture and fantasy decorating. <laughs> yep. Yep. And like there's one joke. It's like, look out for that guy. That or so that coffee table with an end gun. He's like, actually, I'm, I'm a, a nightstand. I'm a nightstand. <laughs> as he's shooting the, as he's shooting the gun. Watch out for that end table. I'm a nightstand. <laughs> right. And and just like it, a lot of it is about how it like butchers the English language. Uh, like there's a a later miniseries where it's starring Grim Shadow, mm-hmm. and he's got like he's a witchlock, which is half witch half warlock <laughs> yeah which really upsets Tycho. <laughs> you can't <And> do it <laughs> i remember there's one when uh gabe is reading the book like he's up in the attic and he's like uh, uh uh from uh from grim shadow's hands extended his triple wand claws my name is grim shadow said grim shadow and i'm here to take it to the limit fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's super into it <laughs> His triple wand claws extending. I always thought that was funny, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about any witch locks Funny. That's just, just what, what a witch lock would say. say. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. They, they, uh, the, the writing has a gift for intentionally being very bad writing, uh, yeah. which, which is good. It, it's a little tough to walk that line where you don't want it to be too obnoxiously bad and spoil the joke. Mm-hmm. But it has to be like noticeably bad to you know mm-hmm. subvert expectations. So you know that's not easy. So yeah, no, it's, for it's for tough. Doing that. It's tough. Um, if I had to pick one comic that I think was maybe my favorite, it was probably you know uh, the comic that I started reading or I read that got me into the comic. And this would have been like right, like I think this was when I was in like grade ten or something like that. Um, and it was Claw Shrimp. And that's what the that's what the comic is uh, called, um, and it's to me it's like it has nothing to do with video games at all, uh, but it's such a beautiful game that they play, and it's it's six panels long, um, which is you know atypical for them, um, but basically they're just having a they're having an argument in the first couple of panels that they're saying like hey did you ever catch a crawdad that's like a big shrimp well it's more like a tiny lobster. Uh, right, which is like a shrimp. Yeah, but shrimp don't have claws. Well, what about claw shrimp? And they say, yeah, claw shrimp. Big claws on them. Live real deep. Big as a man. <laughs> and uh, and then Tycho just stabs Gabe, I guess, just because he thinks that's dumb. But in the next one, they just heighten that a little bit more. Like, they're arguing about claw shrimp. And they say, like, it just seems like Tycho doesn't think that's a thing. And uh, Gabe is saying, like, yeah, no, that's totally a thing. And Tycho gets mad. But then they go to the doctor's office. And uh, the doctor says, like, what's going on here? This is a very deep wound. It reminds me of a claw shrimp attack. And Gabe's like, see? And Tycho's like, oh, God. 
And then in the final panel, there's this other doctor who, like, bursts into the room, and there's blood everywhere, and this doctor says, oh, my God, did a claw shrimp get loose in here? <laughs> Just, <laughs> like, it goes from, like, three panels for the joke to two panels for the joke to one panel for the joke. And it just keeps hammering that in over and over and over. And it does it faster and faster and faster. And I think it's so funny the way that they do it. So I think that was like – it was like one of the comics that I first read that I first liked. And uh, that got me into reading it. And apparently I thought it was strong enough to make me keep reading the comic for the next 15 years. I mean I think that goes back to your point about them – heightening and keeping the camera rolling a bit longer because like you could have ended it after the first joke of him stabbing of uh Tycho stabbing Gabe and then they extended even further taking into the doctor's office and then they extended even further by having the ne- the extra doctor walk in <laughs> yeah yeah they just keep it it goes further and further and further they do it beautifully <laughs> so i think that one's funny that's probably going to be my favorite one uh, i think yeah i think my favorite would still have to be the uh the internet fuckwad theory (laughs) yeah that one is super accurate (laughs) super realistic i guess if you if i we had to split hairs my favorite panel is it's like the president is calling Tycho, and it's like mr president and the president's like Tycho, what do you know about manticores (laughs) and Tycho's like goddamn near everything (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's good too that's just a nice moment goddamn near everything so uh, that's Penny Arcade. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> Penny Arcade. That's pretty much all we wanted to say. They're still going. I mean, they're updating mm-hmm. regularly. I mean, so many good web comics have come and gone, or even if they were successful, they're done now. Mm-hmm. But Penny Arcade, yeah, I mean, they they show no signs of slowing down. Seemingly nope. have no interest. And nope, they're. I mean, they're doing so many things now past the comic, and I mean, they're still doing the comic, but uh, they've got. A whole lot of other things that they're doing as well so it seems like they're they're saying this is you know this is what we're doing this is how we're contributing to the gaming community um and it seems to be pretty positive they've had a few you know shortcomings in the past but overall i think their contributions have been super positive yeah yeah i would say that i don't know that i always like how they push the boundaries and i at some points they've had to come back and you know, deliver mea culpas and apologize for mm-hmm. some of their missteps. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that does come with the territory of pushing the boundaries of good taste, and that you should be able to do that. But just when it happens, when you do mess up, mm-hmm. you got to own it. Yeah, you got to be responsible for what you say on stage or in your webcomic. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, just as a one quick extra bonus section, uh, since we didn't do it for the last episode. But it seems like a good idea since we're basically doing it for this episode. We should talk yeah. about our favorite Simpsons episodes. Yeah, it's actually uh, pretty surprising that we didn't talk about that last time. Because that would have made sense given we were talking about The Simpsons. I, th- I feel like that's a thing where that The Simpsons comes up so often. Or it would be so easy to like slip into like 30 minutes of talking about The Simpsons that it's almost dangerous to even bring it up. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's not do this because, you know, we're going to... Like there's a guy at... Uh, at the school that I work at and you're like you know that you don't want to bring up anything political around them because otherwise you're going to be like oh my god we're going to have another like 30 minute long conversation about this 
Which he's passionate about it, and I can't fault him for that. But it's like, mm, all the time. It's another guy at the school, too, and it's funny to just go like, Hey, John, I heard there's a lot of radiation in those smoke detectors. And, <laughs> and he's <laughs> oh like, God. oh, my God, I can't. Because, uh, I don't know, some people thought there was a lot of radiation in there. And he's like, there's no more radiation. Than in a, and he kind of went off on a whole thing. So it's funny to do that every now and then. <laughs> but you can't do it a whole lot. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so let's just go rapid fire uh, back and forth. Uh, we'll say one episode at a time and maybe like one really funny thing from it. Sure. And yeah. Absolutely. Okay. okay you want to start off? Sure. Uh, last exit to Springfield. That That's where the plant goes on strike. And it's got this really lame sitcom that Burns and Smithers put on. And it's really <laughs> dumb and funny. <laughs> Smithers? Oh, no, wait, what is he, uh, he comes home and he says, Smithers, I'm home, and, like, the audience claps and cheers, and then uh, <laughs> Smithers comes in and he's like, oh, back so soon? And, like, everyone applauds again, and then Burns just says, yes, <laughs> and then everyone <laughs> applauds again. <laughs> yeah. So, that was funny. That was good. Uh, okay, so uh, one of mine is just called uh, Homer, but it's just uh, H-O-M-R, and the R is backwards. I'm pretty sure that's what it is, but uh, it's a spoof of uh, Flowers for Algernon. That's the episode when Homer discovers that he has a crayon launched in his brain and decides to get it surgically removed. And uh, his intelligence increases rapidly, but then he's ostracized by his friends. I mean, in very much classical uh, Flowers for Algernon you know sense however you know where flowers for algernon ends on a very very sad you know kind of depressed note uh this one ends on sort of a positive note because homer decides that he wants to go back uh uh to be a normal but it uh having being more intelligent for a brief period of time gave him more of an opportunity to see how much how special lisa was which was a nice moment but uh my favorite moment of that episode is when homer's sitting on the couch and he's got a big basket of rubik's cubes that he's just solving one at a time and he's listening to the radio and uh the host says that may not have been a glenn gould performance but i think you'll agree it was good as gould and homer just goes oh. <laughs> 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 i always think that was so funny it's good as gould <laughs> anyway Next up, I have Homer's Barbershop Quartet, which is about mm-hmm. Homer being in a barbershop quartet. Mm-hmm. And my this is my favorite of the Beatles cameos, is when Homer meets George Harrison. He's like, oh my god, George Harrison, where did you get that brownie? <laughs> oh, there's a whole plate of them over there. <laughs> and George is just like, oh, what a nice fellow. <laughs> yeah, that's all it was. <laughs> the next one I have is Homer's Enemy which is uh, the uh, episode with Frank Grimes in it. And uh, it's beautifully set up at the beginning. Like, it gives uh, Frank Grimes his whole backstory. And uh, then they bring him in and they introduce him. And then, like, Homer is just such an idiot the entire episode. But he's, like, he's doing so many things that are so dumb or, like, so comically, like, goofball oafish. Um, but at the same time, he just genuinely wants this guy to like him, right? He wants to get to know him. And this guy is just like, you feel bad for Frank Grimes, but at the same time, he is kind of being an asshole to Homer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, which it kind of makes it funny how many like bad things happen to Frank Grimes, right? Like his car gets destroyed, right? He lives under a bowling alley and above another bowling alley. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but there's, uh, uh, there's a bunch of good moments, 
especially when he tricks Homer into entering in the the uh, the children's uh, nuclear power plant contest, and uh, Homer makes his nuclear power plant and it beats everybody else, and um, it was it's very charming. But um, there's the one line that I really liked is when Frank Grimes is coming around and he's like, "Look at this house, two cards, a son who owns a factory, and lobsters for dinner." Right? And he says that line, <laughs> and I've seen that line and lobsters for dinner come up in a bunch of other situations like most recently in the last week i saw someone reference it on reddit someone said like he's got this and this and this and then someone added and lobsters for dinner and i thought it was funny that's it (laughs) next then is uh homer at the bat Mm -hmm. uh homer is on the nuclear power plants softball team with his friends but they all get replaced by ringers from major league baseball and man because I'm a big fan of baseball too, this really resonates with me and it gets brought up a lot by baseball fans as this really iconic moment. And my favorite scene, I guess would be when Homer meets Daryl strawberry. Well, I don't know you, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You were telling me, was it you that were telling me about that the other day that, uh, that no, we said, we talked about this in the, uh, in the actual Simpsons podcast that we did, how, uh, when they were, uh, when Bart and Lisa were chanting, Daryl, like that was referencing something that actually happened, and that was like the first instance of like a crowd-wide heckling of a player. I would love to claim credit for that, but I don't think I said that. Ah, didn't you? Oh, okay, maybe. I, I wish I did. I don't remember who said it. Uh, then someone clearly. I don't think I came up with that on my own. I don't know. I, I find it hard to believe that was the like Daryl Strawberry was the first player that anyone ever heckled. But I think it was not case. just not just the first uh, like person who was heckled but like the first like mass heckling of one player by like Mm. an entire audience i don't know i just don't know uh my next one is itchy and scratchy and poochy oh my god that episode is fantastic i think it is so great from start to finish that's the episode where uh the writers of the itchy and scratchy show are noticing that the show is getting uh more stale and so they introduce a new character to keep things going and the entire time they're doing this in the actual show themselves, in the actual show The Simpsons, they've introduced a new character named Roy, oh, yeah. who looks exactly like Poochie, and he's like just like bring him up every now and then, right? And then Roy leaves at the end of the episode, and they're like, "Oh, goodbye, Roy. We'll always miss you." <laughs> right? I'm gonna go share an apartment with two sexy, sexy ladies. ladies. <laughs> <laughs> so Roy was pretty good. Um, so I I think my favorite thing from that episode and I've mentioned it all the time especially when I watch improv shows is when they're watching the the like episode of the Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie show and uh, they're driving along and Poochie comes up and he's, he interrupts uh, Itchy and Scratchy's car ride and he starts singing his song uh, it cuts back to the audience and uh, Milhouse is sitting there and he starts crying and he says when are they gonna get to the fireworks factory <laughs> he's so sad <laughs> and i've seen that so many times in improv scenes not obviously not with like scenes about fireworks factories but when people are in a scene and they say we're gonna do this we're gonna do this we're gonna do this and then they don't do it they never get to it and i'm sitting there in the audience crying wondering when they're gonna get to the fireworks factory uh, second to last, I have uh, Sweet Seymour Skinner's Badass Song, where <laughs> Skinner gets fired from his job as principal. And just before they mind every single minor character to have them be their own episode, I think what sets this one apart is, first off, it was one of the first ones. Mm-hmm. And second off, it wasn't like Skinner has some hidden talent or like he's got this 
secret character flaw that no one knew about it before. He's just kind of a regular guy. Like, you just see him, like, at home with his mom doing laundry. And, he, like, he has some weird tics. Like, he's conducting <laughs> an invisible orchestra in his room. But it's just, like, kind of a personality quirk. It's not meant to be the whole focus of the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. All right, a little bit more Largo on the next section. And, and it just made the character feel a lot more three-dimensional and makes his prior and future interactions with Bart have a little more depth to that because mm-hmm. he secretly does kind of care, mm-hmm. even if he doesn't always act like it. Yeah, but yeah, it's kind of an, it's a very nice humanizing moment for Bart and Skinner. Yeah, yeah, that, that too, that Bart recognizes that he did something wrong and he affected a person and kind of goes out of his way to make things right. Yeah, that uh, that is a very good point. That is a very good point. It's a unique moment for, I guess it just shows, uh, like you said, there's more depth to the character of Bart. Um, I have the next one I have is Cape Fear, and this is the one. This is one of <laughs> this is a shy, uh, sideshow Bob episode. Uh, it's the one when uh, the Simpsons go into the witness protection program, and it's great from start to finish. I mean, it's it's got so many funny jokes the entire time. I mean, it's got the entire scene with. Hello, Mr. Thompson, when they're trying to step on uh, Homer's foot and get him to acknowledge that. Um, It's got uh, Sideshow Bob being continually uh, hit in the face by rakes, which is a bit that they just keep doing over and over and over again. Um, It's got Sideshow Bob singing the entire score at the HMS Pinafore while Bart is, like, watching. Um, It's got Homer jumping on Bart saying, Bart, you want to see my new chains on hockey mask? (laughs) And uh, as Bart's trying to sleep. I mean, it's got so many funny bits uh, from start to finish. It's uh, uh, very exciting. Um, and I think it's just, I think Sideshow Bob episodes in general are super unique because a lot of the other episodes don't have necessarily that life or death feel to them. Um, but any of the episodes with Sideshow Bob, like he's a very, very good villain, I think, for the show. Um, funny story. Uh, I know we're kind of running long here, but. Sure. In, in seventh grade, I was in a musical that our school did. It was HMS Pinafore with a Titanic twist. Oh, no. So this would have been, I believe, 1990, 1998. Okay. And Titanic had come out the year prior. So we were doing Pinafore. I think the argument was that no one would want to see the play HMS Pinafore. Mm-hmm. So they had to, like, modernize it. <laughs> and, and they were like, what's popular now with a boat? <gasps> Titanic! And so, like, just Jack and Rose... And, like, Billy Zane's character are in the HMS Pinafore play also now. Mm-hmm. So, and it, it was it, it was a treat. It, it was a real treat. They even they re- redid the scene where uh, Rose falls over the side of the boat and Jack has to pull her back on. Mm-hmm. And, and it was it was great. That I can imagine it would have been a sellout show. <laughs> I think it was anyway because all, all the – it's got like an eighty-person cast, and everyone's got parents that come to these things. <laughs> yep, it would have been even if it. Yep, just for the parents, it would have sold out. Exactly. And so, my final episode, my favorite episode, I'd have to say, is Marge versus the Monorail. I think that one is generally viewed as being like one of the best episodes of The Simpsons. It's really great, and it's. I was not even aware it was a parody of The Music Man until only a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not even aware of that. And just yeah, it's a, a person voiced by Phil Hartman named Lyle Langley comes into town offering to sell them a monorail, and the crowd of Springfield gets all swept up in monorail fever. And they build the monorail, but not everything is quite as it seems. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
I've sold monorails to Brockway, Ogdenville, and North Haverbrook, and by gum it put them on the map. <laughs> They're the only spots on the map. I think this my favorite moment was uh, the whole Leonard Nimoy cameo, mm-hmm. <laughs> where he's on the train, and like, first off, Mayor Quimby doesn't know who he is, and then he's just like talking cryptically in his seat, and once the whole thing is over, he's still talking cryptically. It's like, well, my work here is done. But you didn't do anything. Didn't I? Didn't I? And I uh, just want to say, may the force be with you. You don't know who I am, do you? <laughs> sure I do. Weren't you one of the uh, little rascals? <laughs> that was good. Yeah, that one's really, really funny. Um, yeah. My last episode is Homer Goes to College. And this one is in season five. Uh, it's discovered that Homer doesn't actually, he never uh, completed uh, uh, introductory physics, I think, or nuclear physics. And so he's got to go and do it. And uh, there are a ton of great moments in that episode. I mean, when he meets the nerds and they move in and they take over the house and uh, they have the Itchy and Scratchy episode where Scratchy finally gets itchy. And then they unplug (laughs) the TV right before the end. And uh, uh, they have, uh, you need to memorize the periodic table, Mr. Simpson. Oh, yeah, I'll just write it on my hand. Oh, yeah, including all known lanthanides and actinides. (laughs) I always thought that was funny, too. Because uh, I like the periodic table. And then they're trying to push the dean out of the way, and they're saying, hmm, should we account for wind resistance? Yeah, I think we should, as he's getting <laughs> run over by the car. <laughs> so, And then Homer the entire time, and he's like, it's the crunchy old dean, but he's the coolest dean in the planet. And, uh, yeah, there's there's lots of really fun moments in that one. So it's uh, Homer goes to college, I think, is great. But the best moment is when Homer pulls up to the college with Marge, and he sees this guy walking by, and he goes out and he yells, nerd! And Marge says, Homer, that wasn't very nice. And Homer says, Marge, I'm a jock. As a jock, it's my job to make fun of the nerds. This other guy walks by, and he says, hey, buddy, did you get a load of the nerd? And the guy says, excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like the the, the nerd! Or like the didn't I. I mean, those are... I'll I'll be saying those or hearing those I think from people our same age. Yeah, for until pretty much forever for the rest of our lives. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. So that was uh, lots of Penny Arcade and then lots of Simpsons as well. This was like a one and a half length episode. It was a it, bunch of bonus stuff. It was. It was. It, this is going to be pretty long. It's going to be pretty much an hour. Uh, so crazy. That brings us to the ep- another. Yeah, that brings us to the end of another episode of So Many Bits. We can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook at So Many Bits. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at So Many Bits. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review, or listen to us on SoundCloud. And last but not least, please check out the rest of the Second Wind Collective for other podcasts. Support independent art. The spirit of Dell compels you. And as always, keep watching the skis. <laughs> <laughs>